Hello, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of pork rolls, the show of writing, the show of 9-11, New York, Fino, Austin, Alamo, Draft House. I could go on and on. Today's guest is the legendary Bill Norris of Operations and Beverage, directing at the Alamo Draft House. Not only is Bill an amazingly intelligent guy that has a very rich history in many different industries and politics and writing, and obviously cocktailing, he is at the forefront. I mean, there would be no fresh squeezed juices. There would be no herbs and cocktail. Yes, that's a big statement, but I'll be the one to make it. Bill has been an amazingly impactful and influential on the cocktail and the culinary scene here in Austin, Texas. And personally, Bill is a big influence on me. He has been such a great supporter of what I do as a distiller and a brand owner and I love Alamo Draft House. It is part of my personality. It's part of my life as I've lived in Austin here 16 years. And honestly, Bill represents the Alamo Draft House, the fun, the intelligence, the quirkiness. He, he is all of those things. And it was brilliant to sit down with him and hear about his story. A lot of amazing twists and turns, a lot of different chapters. And I really hope you guys enjoy this chat with Bill Norris. Ego, think in here, uh, and yeah, I think that's one of the things that one of the best things that's happened in the last five or six years in the in the world in which I work. Yeah, yeah, is that people have started to suppress their egos. And really, that's you're lucky because I'm seeing lots of egos out there. I don't go out very much, but I mean, yeah. I mean, at least the people that are in my generation, yeah, um, are you know, it's kind of letting the work do the work. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the ways that you progress and you evolve, right? Is you just you stop trying to make a fucking name for yourself and you just do the right thing. You've learned all these things, you know, let's, we're both over 30, let's say, which I know over better. 40. <laughs> yes. So we're both over 35, you know, that, that particular demographic. And at some point it's like, I don't care what people think anymore. I just want to do the right thing and do good work. I think, yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think that you get like more comfortable in your skin. Yeah. Um, and 10 years ago, so gung ho about like everything we were learning, yeah, 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 um, and wanting to put it out there, and um, you know, this has been beaten. This horse has been beaten within an inch of its life, I sure. think, in the in the bartending world right now. But like this kind of return to the idea of hospitality, yeah, um, was something that was sorely needed. Um, and I was as guilty as anybody ten years ago of yeah. being all up in my own stuff, right. Um, it's kind of like the I, I called I thought about this the other day and I never thought about this like this before but I think about Fino as like this cocktail incubator right sure. you know and it, it's weird because of all the and we'll talk about it but all the kinds of people and all the personalities and the ideas that came out of there but in a sense it was like that's the hub for po- pushing out great innovative ideas that either are new and unusual or 
paying reverence to the past, you know? And I think, I mean, I'm super proud of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, the tracing that lineage is super cool. Sure. But I think that now you look at the town and, I mean, I go out and I heard Josh say something similar when on his thing here. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't know these bartenders. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, I don't and, either. Really. And I don't go out very much at all, but like, but they all know each other, and the community is so much stronger than it was ten years ago. Yeah. But I still think you're seeing bars like Drinkwell is that incubator now. Yeah. Uh, some of the sure. talent that's come out of there, I think you're going to see that coming from Half Step. Yep. Um, good bullpens. A lot of good bullpens. And real much deeper bench than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, for I sure. remember opening Haddington's, and we were just—I was just kind of like, "Who the fuck am I going to hire?" <laughs> yeah. um, because did, there, did people care even then at that point? They cared. I mean, yeah. some people did. Um, but it, I mean, like we were, we got super lucky, um, in that a lot of the people we opened with were relatively new to town. Yeah. Some of them aren't here anymore. I mean, like yeah, Tiff yeah. Short had come back from, I think she was in DC then she's in New York now. Okay. Um, Brandon Burkhardt's out in LA now. had just moved to town. Oh, cool. Um, Florian had just moved to town. Oh, that's yeah. Catching him right out of New uh, York. And I, I mean, yeah, he came in and like, I didn't have a job. We, we were staffed. Yeah. Um, but he said he'd bar back and you know, he was really young, 21 or 22. Right. And kind of, he, but he had worked for um, the EO guys yeah, yeah. in New York, and I was just like, "Well, find if you can bar back." And he said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And like, end of his first shift, I was like, "We're gonna find a place for you because he yeah. just works so is hard." He, yeah, he is. Uh, he's got an incredible mustache. Yes, Which he does. Is, there's there's something to be said about curating and properly grooming a mustache of that nature. I can. I don't have the patience for that. I don't either. I, mean, I don't either. Like, just trim it. I get a beard, five o'clock shadow. Yeah, and if I, in the morning, like, you yeah. clip in and it's like, oh, I got to take the whole thing off now. I just, <laughs> well, it's I, goatee time now. Like, right? Dripping down into your into your lip. I just, yeah. I, yeah no. But that, there's something to be said, like, whether it's fashion, whether it's personal grooming, whether it's just a statement of creativity, that is a mighty fine fucking mustache. It is. A, he, he's a handsome man. He's, he's good. Yeah. 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 I want it. You know, it is a thing and I hope Florian is listening and course we know enough similar people that i can get him to do this but how many drinks will it take to get florian to be louder than he is uh it's, so- it's it's i don't his tolerance <laughs> might be higher now than it was back yeah, in the day so boy, but like, like it's drinks. back in the day it wasn't that many yeah um, uh, I, I i'm not i won't tell my my florian story but um, <laughs> he's, i've uh, heard a good story involving a place and some bodily functions that's all i know and then yeah, it's just uh, he, he he was uh he, he's grown up a lot yeah that's good. That's really good. But he seems so so calm and zen. But I don't know if it's just because behind the curtain lurks a beast that is alcohol drunk. I don't think so. I think I think he's pretty genuine. He's a, he's a pretty happy drunk in good. my experience. That's great. Well, that's I mean, and everybody I've, that I've talked to so far, and we nobody really gets drunk. I mean, after the mics off, that's when like things really start turning bright when the gloves come off, so to speak. But everybody, you know, everybody is. If nothing, and man, I mean, I want to, I want to tell you this, and I haven't talked about this, and um, so it was small victory had their soft opening on. Yeah, I went on t- Tuesday night, I think, yeah, Monday or Tuesday. Amazing experience. It's beautiful bar, and really so beautiful. psyched for Josh. I mean, like he's worked yeah. so hard to get this. It's amazing, and that daiquiri might be the single <coughs> best crafted thing that I've had in a decade. It's, it's beautiful, like that place. It, one of the things I think is really cool, and you know, I was only there for a couple hours, but yeah. the was that the it just feels like josh yeah in there like they, see i don't know him i didn't ever work alongside him like you did but i i he his personality so like we had a good good chat it was about an hour 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 and a half hour and 45 minutes and stuff it's like he knows what he's doing and he's not too pretentious and he's not also too critical of other people like he knows that things will get done the right way in due time and with the right training and stuff and so that's what the place feels like it doesn't feel forced at all 
it's not it's not pretentious yeah at all. um and it it's it's very focused yeah um but it's also chill in, really in a in a chill. really great way and I mean, it makes me feel like i don't like it's chill but somehow i'm not cool enough to be in there but it's not a super cool pl- you know what i'm saying like everybody belongs but it feels better than me in a sense like that it's on this other level you know and i think it's totally unintentional it's not supposed to be it's not pretentious but and i, I yeah it's it's really it's comfortable yeah. in there and oh, i th- yeah. i mean like i was looking around the room and obviously i knew a bunch of people in there sure, that sure. night when i was there but um you know that the there was so many different kinds of people even in that very easy soft opening yeah. environment and people were just talking to each other. Like yeah. there were no phones out. No, there was for no, sure. and it was, it was just like it was just like it felt like a really cool living room almost, yeah. where like people could be themselves, but be with their friends right, and right. not have to work too hard at having Being a good time. Right? Yeah. just like existing and socializing, right? Yeah. And that, and and that's one of the things in like I. I don't even know where I was going to circle back, but it, it created such an environment, in fact, that the people that were there, and there were a lot of wonderful people there that night. It's been a great industry coming in and out, and just good friends coming in and out that for those soft openings. But I you know, I ran into Sheed and Michael Phillips, and who both of which I, I feel like we had really great moments here just hanging out and stuff like that. And so there's something about Small Victory in that particular moment that I became incredibly vulnerable. It was very odd. And it, you know, because I'm not a sappy drunk, you know, I, I'm like positive. Like, we're going to do this stuff. And you, you probably, you know, we had a mezcal tasting and stuff a few months back and things got good and, and raw and gritty and all that. But I, I don't get emotional. But something about that place and all those people together, it felt like this culmination of Josh's passion, everybody's honesty, like all of these things kind of building up at once. And that was a wonderful moment for me. I mean, I think that some of that speaks to kind of who Josh is yeah. within our industry. Sure. Um, I don't know anyone who doesn't like Josh. Yeah. Um, and he does not like he's trying to be likable, though. No, I mean, yeah, he's a grumpy motherfucker. <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah. one of the things I love about him. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but he's, uh, I mean, like, he's always genuine. He cares about what he does. Yeah. But he's also generous to other people to sure. a fault sometimes, yeah, I think. Amazingly generous. Um, and. You know, when he's done with work, he goes home. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not, a father. He, he's, he's a yeah, father. he's not out like, you know, getting loaded in somebody else's bar, making an ass out of himself. No. And, and, and like, he's just, he's a good dude. For sure. Um, and I, that, that I think that is filtering down from the top in yeah. there in a way that is. That gonna, culture, right? Yeah, it's, it's going to be like, be good comes, to people. Yeah. Make good stuff. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. We've said that in multiple episodes, but don't. That's a great way to live your life. Yes. Just don't Try be, not a to dick. be a dick. Don't be a dick. It's not always easy. Sometimes you sure. gotta be, but like, assholes fine on occasion. Yeah. But just don't be like live like a. Dick. And I've certainly, you know, I've certainly been a dick. From I've, time I've to heard time. Good, I, I, That's the funny thing. Like, in, in as a nice preface to, to you, Bill. Like, we met in an interesting way. At least it was very memorable for me. But everybody like always kind of insinuated that you're real prickly, real terse, a little bit hard to approach. But I never got that. You were incredibly cordial to me always. I mean, I think the I've grown up a lot. Yeah. Um, but there was, especially when I first came to town, the first few years, I was coming from New York. Yeah. And the style of work was so different here. Right. That like, you know, and, and I, God, I haven't been behind a bar in five or six years in any kind of real way. Yeah. But the, you know, when you get when I went behind that piece of wood 
it was work time. Sure. And like, no fucking around, right? Yeah, and it was just kind of like, let's get it done. And you know, the Fino's bar was one of the most poorly designed functional spaces that oh, really? I've ever okay. seen. Um, it, is, it was one of those like, please don't let restaurant designers design your bar in the future kind <laughs> yeah. of things. Um, and you know, we over the years, we as the program got better, and as I learned some things, and then as Josh took it over, and then Francisco, and, yeah, um, we certainly jerry rigged uh, to, to make it a to little make bit it a little more, more functional, usable, yeah. Um, but you know that well could go off on a that service well would go off and it was work and it yeah, was hard yeah, yeah. and the it just kind of you know like I need something and I'm if I'm, I'm, I'm I might not always say please and thank you in the moment but right. like it just it's still there's yeah, some tension there right? and and it, I've certainly tried to improve on that aspect of my personality over yeah. the years and hopefully I've succeeded. Uh, would you say this is the kinder, softer bill? No, I just think it's it's the older bill. Yeah. Um, and I, I certainly think that, you know, over the last year and a half, where it's kind of monumental Absolutely. Um, health challenges and changes that, you know, when a doctor tells you you were four hours from death before he puts you on the table, it yeah. kind of makes you step back. And Can you, and so if, if you want to talk about it, well, like, so I understand, we kept in some touch, obviously yeah. you're in the hospital and stuff, but what exactly was that moment like where you knew something was up? Um, you know, it was weird. Um, and I don't know how graphic you want me to get. I mean, I'm certainly willing to talk I, about it. I've been throwing uh, fuck all the whole time, so you could talk about whatever. I mean, I was, it was right before San Antonio Cocktail Conference 2014. Okay. Um, I started to have pretty severe gastrointestinal distress. Yeah. Uh, like what you would get if you traveled in Asia for extended periods of time? Yeah. I mean, the, the closest thing I could compare it to would be, um, an, a, a post Oaxaca trip experience that <laughs> I had. That's what I was getting at, Like, yeah. where it lasted a day. Right. But this was ongoing. A couple, like, uh, um, you talking weeks? Um, well, I mean, I think the conference was like the 17th of January or something like that was yeah. the opening day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was the three or four days before that it kind of started in earnest. Yeah. Um, I, it was the Monday before because I had to leave a meeting at work to... Uh, so just real quick, so I want to give you this. I remember having a bug in Asia, but still having to go through Tokyo and Japan for about a week and having to take emergency stops at old-style bathrooms Oof. in the subways in Tokyo. Yeah. That's a humbling experience. So don't, no, no, you know, we don't have right. to worry about it. Like, yeah, it fucking sucks. You got to leave a meeting. I had to do that too. And then, I, you know, I had to get antibiotics. But it, this was not something... That was short term. There was something lar larger at risk. Yeah, right and now. it's just like you know, nothing, nothing was slowing it down. Right. Um, and I had, I did a seminar that was the opening slot seminar of the, of the cocktail conference. Mm. And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to get through these two hours. Right, I haven't right, run out right. of here. Did and then went to uh, a beef eater thing that Trevor Easter was doing, mm. a free martini lunch. And I think I was in the bathroom like eight times during that lunch. Oh man. Um, and I was still just like you know trying to take a modium and, and whatever. Did it ever help? No, no, didn't, didn't. Did nothing help. Like went out to dinner that night and was up and down. And there was a thing at the Esquire, and we, I was there yeah. for about an hour. And I was like, I gotta go. And it's it's like changing yeah. your life. And we went back to the hotel. I went back to the hotel with my wife. And the next day, she had a family thing, and we got her family. We kind of live. Her mom lives out um, kind of by Lagrange out uh, there in the country. Yeah, yeah. And um, we got out there, and I was like, I can't go to this thing. I gotta stay here. Yeah, um, it's 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 hard to try, like incredibly hard to travel and be in a car and all that. Uh, and then that Sunday, I went to an emergency clinic, um, and they were like, "Oh, here's some antibiotics. It'll get better in a couple of days." And it didn't. And I went to my real doctor on the Tuesday, and he was like, "I don't know why they gave you those antibiotics. Here's some these others. other antibiotics." Yeah. 
start to feel better in a couple of days and it didn't. So they sent me to a GI doctor um, and they scoped me um, and they were like, oh, you have ulcerative colitis. And I was like, okay, great. And they were like, here's some bunch of steroids. You say colitis? Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, here's a bunch of steroids. Um, you'll feel better in a, in a couple of days. And it was just getting worse. No um, and I mean, I was, was the med were the meds making it worse? They, no, just, they just weren't doing anything. And like the, the, it was progressing so rapidly. And I, yeah. I mean, I had never had anything like this before. Yeah. Um, and February 8th, um, they were like, all right, we, you need to go into the hospital. Um, were you, were you, so how long would you say this? So you're talking, uh, like mid January to February 8th. Yeah. So almost two, three weeks, two, three weeks. Were you uh, losing weight and stuff? Too? I was down at that point, probably about 20 pounds. God damn it. In three uh, weeks. That's insane. And then, I mean, I couldn't, nothing was staying in me. Right. Um, were you just getting weak and kind of, I mean, I didn't, I didn't work. I was on the, I was couch, couch to bathroom, couch to bathroom, couch wow. to bathroom. That's insane. Um, and it was basically the same drugs, uh, but IV and stronger. Right, um, right, And right. they really wasn't, nothing was really happening. Um, and they wanted to put me on, <clears throat> like, if the steroids fail, I guess, with colitis, the next thing is an immunosuppressant drug. Okay, yeah. Um, and they have to verify you don't have hep C, HIV, and TB to, right. to give you this drug. And one of those 10, I can't remember which one, I think it's the TB, takes four or five days to come back. Okay. Um, and so they're like, hey, you don't have HIV and hep C. I could have told you that. But sure. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for confirming, Doc. <laughs> uh, we got to wait. And in the waiting period, I woke up. I, my wife had been at the hospital, like, spending the night. And yeah. she was, like, sleeping in the chair. And I was like, you need to go home and sleep in the bed, take a bath. Like, right. Um, and that night, about 3 in the morning, I woke up in the worst pain um, that I could ever ex- think about experience. yeah. Um, in, in the GI, like yeah, stomach, in the in, 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 the, in, the, in the in the stomach area, yeah. And the the nurse on duty wouldn't get me a doctor. What? She was like, "You're not scheduled for more painkillers." She's like, I don't want more fucking painkillers. There's something some... really fucking wrong. Yeah. Um, and at about five in the morning, I called my wife and I was like, "You need to get here because no one is listening to me and there's something wrong." Got it. Oh. Um, and they were and finally at like six or seven, a, a doctor was there and they're like, "All right, you need to go into a CAT scan or an MRI or whatever, right, whatever, right, whatever the right. tube is." Um, and the dude in front of me died in the tube. He had a heart attack. In and the di- tube, had a heart attack and died. Is it like anxiety ridden. Because you know those are, those are very stressful tubes. Yeah, I mean, I was I had a I had a fair number of them during my during this experience. Yeah. Um, but the um, sorry, that's okay. Um, and it was uh, but so it was delayed and delayed and delayed and. Um, when I when they finally got me in, they brought me back up to the room, and I had this infectious disease doctor um, whose name I can't remember, but she was. Uh, I'll never forget the sound of her high heels running down the hallway in the hospital. Like I could hear it, Jesus. scuttling, scuttling. Yeah. And she was like, "Your your, your intestine is ruptured. You need emergency surgery now." And I was like, "Because all this toxins leaking in your bloodstream, right?" Yeah. They um, and the, you know they put me on the table. I I barely remember signing the consent form. Yeah. Um. It was hours of surgery i mean it was enough time for my wife to get a hold of my mother in new jersey and my mother to get on the plane fly down and be at the hospital by the time i came oh, out shit. Um, wow. and I, I you know i was in i woke up in icu and um, right i mean basically they removed my large intestine um they got they couldn't sew it back together so they just um, get rid of it and they uh said they pumped 11 gallons of stool out of my abdominal cavity Wow, because uh, it wasn't working, right? It was like defective at that point. Um, they said it was it was crumbling in his hands, like the colitis yeah. had eaten through all the way. Wow, 
Um, so is Clyde, uh, is it a bacteria? Is it? They a, don't really know. It's, they think it's autoimmune. Okay. okay. Uh, but they basically, it ulcers form. Yeah. All, and I had it throughout the whole thing. And Wow. And is it genetic typically? They don't know. They have no idea. Have, so you it, got this thing. You have no idea how the fuck it got there. It usually, I mean, for people who get it, it usually comes much earlier in their life yeah. um, than I get it. Um, I had stopped smoking. Uh-huh. Um, and for whatever reason, dude, white dudes in their late thirties, early forties who stop smoking, sometimes they get it. No They kidding. don't, they don't know why. That's so strange. Um, it's one of the things that apparently triggers it. I, I mean, nobody knows. And right. uh, I like, you know, sitting in ICU, um, at the time I had a, I had a temporary colostomy. Right. Right. Um, and you know, 42 years old or 41 years old, whatever I was, you know, waking up shitting in a bag. I was yeah. just like, I was fucking pissed. Um, pissed I, at what though the situation or just the fact like you've been crip- like the, the whole thing i mean yeah. like it, it's terrifying yeah oh sure um and the I mean, the gi doctor who diagnosed the colitis came by the hospital and i, I looked at him i was like dude what the fuck why didn't you st- well, were, were you pissed he didn't even catch that shit well i mean he caught it but like but i was later, like what happened yeah like what i mean you told me these drugs would work and the drugs right, weren't working right, and right. uh he was like look dude um i've been working on this disease my whole career yeah. The guy who taught me is 80 years old, and he's been working on it his whole life. Yeah. Um, sometimes it does this. We don't know why. Um, and you've got two options. You can wonder about why, or you can try and get better. So I hate... There are absolutely some scenarios in life that are like that, but sometimes we just want more... We want some kind of answer for this, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm, not, I'm never going to get one. Yeah. Um, and is, that, is that even... You, does that still frustrate you? No, not really. I mean, yeah. it's it's over, right? Like, right, I, right. Um, you know, obviously a couple more surgeries and the whole year of 2014 just kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I feel You're good. Here? Yeah. Um, and good. I'm not dead. Yeah. And so. How long know, were you in the, the hospital total? It was months, right? Uh, first stay was 28 days. Uh-huh. And then the second surgery was about a week. Okay. Um, and then the third one was only supposed to be a couple days, but there was a complication they had to open me up again and uh, yeah. so that ended up being about 10 days um and you know thank christ for good medical insurance yeah um the with the, the bill for the first 28 day stay was over three hundred fifty thousand dollars before the insurance company got a hold of it yeah wow um so you know that like i i would be living under a bridge somewhere without without good and i mean if insurance. i didn't have the job i had now that has great insurance i, mean, I every once in a while i think about that like if i was working at haddington's where we didn't have right, the health right. insurance um, I'd either be dead or destitute. Yeah, wow, that's insane, man. There's a um. Do you listen to Queens of the Stone Age at all? Uh, I have a little bit, right? Yeah. So like, there's this on WTF Mark, Mark Marin show. He talks with Josh Hummy about he got an infection that he was out and within moments of because he'd been binge cocaining and all, right. all this shit, right? And he talks about all kinds of thoughts and stuff that went through his head as he's really just probably days away from being able. To, to beat off this disease you know like did you have any moments while you're in this almost incapacitated with pain with disability like all this kind of shit right that did you change anything when you got out of there did you look at things differently um i think so i mean i not i don't think massively sure. um certainly the little things i don't sweat the little things quite as much as i used to probably pretty inconsequential right um and every once in a while, I'll feel myself getting worked up about something. I'll be like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. it's not a big is it deal. Important? Is it really important? Things. Like, yeah. let's just get this fixed and it'll be fine and right, right. walk away from it. Um, I 
think it's a. Uh, I mean, I. It's certainly changed the way I drink. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know why. Like, I have no restrictions. Oh, there are no. No, I mean, I'm allowed to. Yeah. Um, the uh, it makes me one of the things your large intestine does, and you know, I've got a fake one now, kind of like they kind of. What's it? What are the fake ones made of? That's part of the small intestine. Okay, the recon- yeah, reconstruction. They, they, yeah, the yeah. Re- reconstruction deal. Gotcha. Um, is but it absorbs water. Okay. Um, so I'm super prone to dehydration. Uh huh. Um, and the even if I drink a ton of water while I drink alcohol, right? Um, if I have more than a couple drinks in a sitting, the next day I just I feel like I've had twelve. Wow. Um, and so I mean that that's definitely part of it. Like yeah, it's gonna it, change the way you change drink, the way man. you drink for sure, and it certainly makes it. Um, makes me very choosy about picking my moments sometimes where it's like like, do i really want this shitty open bar cocktail no i don't or you know get home from work like do i really want to drink right now not so much yeah well you got to make choices i mean that's really Um, but it's also i just don't want it as much and um i don't know why and you can still taste without drinking you know yeah yeah yeah. that's one of those things um and i i don't I don't miss it much, you know. It's a. Uh, I feel like I have a much healthier relationship with when I choose to drink and how I choose to drink yeah. than I probably did before. Yeah, which is that's that's one great thing. I imagine, you know, I, I don't want to assume, but I imagine your relationship probably got better because you will not, not that you did take Chrissy for, for take her for advantage, but to be in that position, you start to realize what's important. Yeah, I well, would, I would think. Anyway. I mean, I think I I can't say enough about. It how lucky um i am in my choice of partner um that she we'd been married less than a year um when that happened and i mean i i know one thing for certain is that there's probably nothing we can't do together yeah um uh, whatever the world kind of wants to throw at us we're good to go yeah it's amazing um and I mean, there were times during the recovery when I probably wasn't as nice to her as I should have been. Yeah. Um, and but also the ability to realize that and say, "Hey, baby, I'm sorry." Yeah. Um, it was probably somewhat new. Like it was like, "Wait a minute, I'm kind of being a dick." <laughs> I don't know why I'm being a dick, so let's stop yeah. being a dick. Yeah. It's a good point. Like, just don't be a dick. Yeah. It's a good lesson to learn. Well, let's get. I mean, we were. You are an anchor, you know, and, and no, normally I, I don't go to those sentimental moments till like later in the interview, but you, at least for me, and I think creatively and in terms of how this whole movement moved, you are at the core of it, right? And whether you give yourself credit, whatever, I'll give, let me give you some credit, right? So you're at the core of this thing that spawned an amazing sense of meaning for so many people in Austin, things that people have built their creative and their professional lives around, and that is cocktail culture cocktail methodology cocktail history and you were kind of the spark that set that stuff in motion and we can i'm sure you can go back further and say well these people did this obviously you, you josh is a participant there's many people that were there but the fact that you were on the verge of ceasing to exist really put in a sense a lot of that stuff into perspective for us and so even though you and i aren't necessarily that close i always felt you were very important to me and to the scene so thank god you made it man well thanks yeah. i mean it's a uh... And the response, I mean, the people in the industry who brought food to my family while I was sick. Yeah. And, I mean, photo from old, the chef at Olamay, Chef yeah. Honor at Olamay, was, uh, and we worked together at Fino when he was just starting out. Mm. And um, he's always been a, re- he's one of the nicest men 
in the business period. Yeah. I mean, Olamay wasn't open yet, and he brought by like trial Olamay dishes for my wife and my mom to eat while I was That's in the amazing. hospital. Um, yeah, Emmett Fox showed up with food at one point. Yeah. Um, like people just stepped up um, and really took care of my people. Yeah. Um, and did you ever think about the kind of impact you'd had prior to that? I don't really think that way. I don't I think. Know, I, I mean, I, you're, like, you're a seemingly humble guy, right? I, I think the, you know, I think 10 years ago when I started to learn how to do this job, yeah, um, there was nobody in here, right? It was, right, exactly. I, I had come from New York and I had worked fresh juice programs, but like, and I remember like the last bar I worked, we, one of the guys I worked with discovered the Sazerac in an old right. room, um <laughs> before I came down and when I was trying to figure it out, it was books and the internet. Yep. Um, and in Texas, it was me and Bobby in Houston and Mike Martinson in Dallas right, at right. that point. Um, and, you know, I found Bobby through his blog, his old blog. And uh-huh. When I was trying to make my first batch of bitters, he had a post about making bitters. And um, I had discovered where you could get a quassia bark or gentian root a or gentian, something yeah, in, yeah. in Austin and uh, left him a comment. And so we struck up an email correspondence, and I think it was four years before we actually met in person. No kidding. At that point. Um, and I, I think that one of the gratifying things about being at the beginning of that, and frankly, you know, I was right place, right time guy. Yeah. Like it was. Well, that's often how it is, though. Uh, I mean, if I was, if five or six, five or six years later, um, there was enough people moving here from elsewhere who knew what the hell they were doing. Yeah. Who, would have schooled me and um you know some of the early competitions that i won that made me a name and stuff i four years later i wouldn't have won yeah um, because there's people whose talent is better than mine i think and uh, well it's always going to be that but that's the great part right is that you 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 were there at the right moment the right time you started a particular level and then somehow you just escalate the whole movement you help it evolve and then it goes and it trumps you i mean that's what i i hope for too right that people are like well, now we're doing all these innovative things, and then <coughs> maybe I set some ground groundwork for it. But you did. I mean, and you got it's like ha- having kids. You know, you, you hope that they do better than you, but don't know. It's super cool. I mean, it yeah. it's it's super cool to go out, um, even to a restaurant that might not be you might not think of as a cocktail destination. Yeah, and you look at their drink menu, and you're like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> yeah. There's Real drinks on this list, hell, and, like, yeah. and, and whether they're being executed properly or the whatever is another right. question. Conceptually, uh, though, but like conceptually, it makes sense, and like you know, there's less and less every day of that like flavored vodka sour mix mm-hmm. nonsense that really was the dominant thing ten years ago yeah. in this town. Um, it's getting real, right? No, That's I mean, the, you can go out. I could probably tick off. 15 or 20 places off the top of my head right now where mm-hmm. I know I could get a quality drink. Uh, yeah. And where even five years ago, it was maybe five or six. Right. Um, and that's amazing. It is cool. Just that much kind of growth in such a small uh, amount And to of see time. people who, you know, started here and are, are way up here now yeah. is uh, is awesome. It is cool. Um, and, like, some of the talent in this town, I mean, there's world-class talent in this town. Justin Lavenue. La- 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 dude, yeah. Um, I mean, wow. he's he's insane. Yeah. He is totally insane. There's uh, something he just has this like idiot, not an idiot's font, but just uh, I don't want to say genius either, but somewhere right in the middle where it's like he's so perceptive and so intelligent that he can execute things in a compassionate way, but also in a technical way. 
but it has, and his sense of balance and flavor yeah. is, is is ridiculous. Yeah, he's like, a I mean, great he's, sensibility. He, he's just really fucking good at what he does. Yeah, um, yeah. and he's got the look for and, it too, which and, is yeah. funny. He's, he, he's another <laughs> handsome dude. Um, but I mean, like, and he's training people now. Yeah. Um, and you know, he came out. He he worked at Drinkwell. Right. And right. Like, so like, like, there's all that stuff. It's just kind of exponentially growing. And yeah. you know, I don't think you're gonna see a big restaurant opening in this town or a good restaurant opening in this town without somebody involved in the bar side Absolutely. You know, who knows what they're doing. You're totally right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get to see, you know, sometimes you see, like, Jen Kaiser at Geraldine, who yeah, I... Yeah, which who, is great. Who, 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 like, you know, I, I got the chance to work with a little bit of Highball and then at Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Um, and just, like, you know, A, she's a great person and B, sure. she's doing great work and, like, how much she's grown even in the five years that I've known her. Been it, profound. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, because I remember when she was at Cowboy making drinks and stuff, and I was like, "Seems like she knows really what the fuck she's doing." Like, which it, which isn't necessarily it was maybe the first time a surprise at Cowboy, but then is not any more a surprise. Everybody knows what's going on there, you know. But I, so I'll take no credit for anything. I will not give you any credit, Bill, for uh, for anything that happens at Midnight Cowboy at this point, um, <laughs> good or bad. Yeah, the uh, you know Brian. Dre- I was incredibly fortunate. To have Brian Dressel yeah. in that building for as long as I did, um, I, I I love that man like a brother. And, He's an amazing. You know, guy. When, when I left, when I left Fino, and he was still there, and like getting ready to open Haddington's, he was one of the first people I called, and he was like, "Sorry, I told Adam Brian I'd work with him at Congress." Oh and then man! When Tim League and I sat down to talk about Cowboy and who yeah. was going to run it, he was first and only name on my list. That's amazing. Um, and. And thankfully, he said yes, and and you know now Mike Phillips has kind of taken that over, and he's sure, putting his sure. stamp on it. And I mean, he's another one who went from that kind of original highball mode mm-hmm. to doing some spectacular work. Absolutely. Um, and you know the, the the rotating crew of regular bartenders, the kind of island of misfit toys in there. Dude, we uh, call, I call it the dream team because we've had. Like, I, I call Bill Norris's home for wayward bartenders. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> Uh, I gotta make some kind of video cover with you with like a big wig and like a, a wand or something. All those boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it's like the, it, you know, there's some people who have come in and out. There's some people who have been there consistently. Yeah. Um, and the one thing they all have in common is just they all care. Yeah. They really do. It's a wonderful, just breeding ground for talent and innovation. And there's something, I think, even phys- physical about the space that you have to. It like resonates and bounces ideas. It just feels like the place you have to kind of get introspective and think. It's one of those places. It's a it's a really cool room. I remember when we were building it out. Yeah. Um, and that you know the front door, the Sixth Street door, is the original door from the old Midnight Cowboy. It's oh, cool. a solid steel core door. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and I would assume that was because they didn't want to get robbed when they were <laughs> you know or interrupted ha- handling with such behaviors. Masses amounts of cash sure, in sure. there before. Um, and we were in there one night, and it was a meeting with uh, myself and Brian and Tim and a couple of the people who invested mm-hmm. in the project. And we were just kind of, you know, we sit down. I brought a bottle of whiskey down. We're going to drink and talk about what we were looking at. Yeah. Um, the construction was maybe halfway done. Um, and we sat down, and somebody, the last guy came in, and I, it was a Thursday night, I think, and mm-hmm. like, you know, Sixth Street was bumping, and that door closed behind it, and it was just like, it's just, it's almost like one of those noise doors where you can't hear anything. Yeah, and, it's and amazing. It's, it's like that feeling to me, like the feeling when you come in to that place when 6th Street is jumping yeah. and it, you, like you just feel your shoulders slide down in yeah. position. Um, safe, 
safeness is amazing comfort, and then yeah. that like oh my god i don't want to go back out there right feeling is also amazing because it makes you what makes me want to come back yeah for sure it was an amazing experience that place it still is so something though you know there you've got a couple cool stories in that you did not in any way start out in this industry you're a creative guy but you weren't yeah. technically a bartender but so going back so you're an east coast guy right so yeah i would i mean I'm trying to remember. My first job in the industry was the summer of 1994, right mm-hmm. after I graduated college. And uh, I knew I was going to go. I had done a semester in London in my junior year. And I oh, really? To, and I, what, yeah, what were you studying? Politics. Politics. Um, and I wanted to go back. And I found this. You can get a six-month work visa as, yeah, a, as yeah, a recent yeah. college graduate. So in September, I knew I was going back to England. And um, I was. my plan was then to go to law school eventually. And, mm-hmm. um is that what you're studying in college, law? Uh, I was a political science major and a creative writing minor. Interesting. Uh, so one of those kind of took another toll. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, and the, you know, I worked all through college. My my cousin is a partner in a law firm that was about 15 miles from where I went to college. Yeah. Or less. Where'd, where'd you go to college real quick? A uh, little school called Drew University in okay. New Jersey. Drew. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah. And so I wor- You know, I wanted to be a lawyer, and um, he got me a job, and like. I, I, for four years in the summers and breaks, I, that's what I did. And like I started as the guy who made photocopies. And by the end of it, I was actually kind of doing paralegal work. Oh, really? And I hated every fucking minute of it. <laughs> and I remember going out with um, some of the younger attorneys, like the people mm-hmm. who were like right out of law school first year. Uh, we, we had a softball team in the summer. And, oh, nice. Um, you know, we got for beers after. And I was drinking on a fake ID. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was not quite 21 cover for you right and like just this one guy being like if i give you any any piece of advice it would be don't go to law school unless you're sure you want to do it he's like i make more money than anyone i know i have the nicest car of anyone i know right. i have the nicest apartment of anyone i know and i have no fucking time to enjoy any of it all i do is work and i hate it oh, and i was man. just kind of like ah, i don't really like this work like i don't I'm not enjoying what i'm doing right right um so it's like oh, i'll go to england for six months and uh, but i had to make money over that summer and my grandmother had um, a house on, she lived on the beach in New Jersey. She lived yeah, okay. a couple blocks yeah. from the ocean. And when she passed away, my mom inherited that house. And she had rented it out for years, to, right. first to some family members um, and then to some other folks. Mm-hmm. It was coming up empty um, as I was coming out of school. So she, my mom agreed to, at a very, it was like basically just cover her bare bones expenses. Sure, sure. Um, Break even point. Yeah. Rent the joint to myself and a couple of my friends from college for the summer. Okay. Um, and so I got a job at a cheesecake shop on the boardwalk in Bradley Beach, New Jersey, um, <laughs> cooking cheesecakes. Really? And my girlfriend at the time, who was with us, was waiting tables at a Bennigan's. And, you know, I was making, what, like five bucks an hour, five sixty-five right, an hour, right, whatever right. minimum wage was, and, like, working in this hot thing, cooking. Oh. And she's working four or five hours a night at the Bennigan's, coming making home with two, three bills. Money, yeah. And I was like, three or four weeks in, I was like, I am on the wrong side of this bullshit. Yeah. Um, and went to the Bennigan's. And applied and on the application made up restaurants like that I had worked at as as a server um, <laughs> and they hired me and the like two weeks after they hired me I was the training coordinator for new hires of in servers two weeks? because everybody was just dumb so I mean, you had never served before never served before but you made some cheesecakes but cheese you, steaks, had, steaks. you had a gift for gab I imagine being a poli sci major because this is after college after said, college right? yeah a little bit but it, I mean it, it, like waiting tables is Especially at a Bennigan's, yeah, it's so not brain surgery. I mean, like, <laughs> if you, you take orders, you ring them in, you, you and you be relatively nice to people. You get yeah. them their stuff in a timely way, and you make money. Like, it, it, it's, it's a pretty, pretty easy, easy equation, yeah. Um, 
and you know that there are things in that corporate restaurant mentality that I that still carry over. I mean, I I'm, I'm, when I look at a resume for someone we're thinking about hiring, if uh -huh. I see back in the day somewhere in Applebee's or Bennigan's or You're Friday's, into I'm into it because they teach really good habits in terms of workflow, yeah, and some of that other stuff. But it was a uh, and like so. I don't know, but maybe a month after that, I was opening up a lunch shift, and we had this kind of crusty old daytime bartender in there mm. who was, uh, he worked Monday to Friday, day shift. Right. And he would come in, he'd come in a little bit early than he had to set up his bar, and then he would take coffee, cigarette, and the racing for him to the, to the <laughs> men's room. And, and he's in there doing his thing, and these guys come in with badges. And they're like, like where is he? I was like, "Bye, there." Oh shit! Um, and it was the Secret Service. The Secret Service? Um, not for any like political stuff because they, they you know they they also do Treasury Department stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, okay. And the guy had been counterfeiting casino chips in Atlantic oh, my City. Yeah, are you kidding me? And so they take him out in handcuffs, and the the GM comes over to me. He's like, "You ever bartended?" I was like, "Nope." You got a book, and like he handed me the Bennigan <laughs> Farm Manual, and I went back there and set it up, and I was, you know worked my way through it. And yeah. worked, worked a little bit there doing that, filling in. Because your boss got arrested for counterfeit chip. Not even my boss, just this. The I mean, guy, like, well, so, yeah, would have so, been your he, boss. You know, he, he seemed really old to me at the time. He was probably thirty. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just kind of a crusty fuck up. You yeah. Know? Like, probably had a gambling problem. Probably had a coke problem. That's um, a, but that's a, an amazing uh, serendipitous moment where he's taken. Kind of jump behind the bar, and then shortly thereafter, um, was like coming up on the end of the summer, and they were like. Hey, can you manage the floor on Friday and Saturday nights for us? We'll pay ten bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Yeah, because by Friday night I'm in overtime every week, so we're talking like yeah, fifteen bucks an hour. Because they're, they're corporate shops, right? Yeah, so you get overtime. Yeah, and I was awesome. like, I was like, I'm good, like yeah. <laughs> um, and so I did that, and then I did it for a couple of weeks, and I I was, I knew I was leaving to go to England, mm -hmm. and I hadn't given my notice yet, and the GM of the store, because all the Bennigan stores were corporate-owned. There were no franchises. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, kind of, like he came up to me and he's like, "Look, we've identified you as a as a Bennigan we've star, identified as you. a Bennigan star, and we want to send you <laughs> to Dallas to get management training so you can have your own store someday." And I was like, "And I quit." <laughs> <laughs> Funny you mentioned. Funny you mentioned that, but yeah, here's my two weeks' notice. I'm out. <laughs> um, That's good timing, though. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. But it's it was a great summer experience, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, and the, like. It was my first taste of picking up bottles and putting them in shakers. And, yeah. Um, I mean, the product was absolute crap. Sure, sure. Um, but, did you, but you enjoyed the process, though. I enjoyed the money at that point. <laughs> money. Um, and so, you know, I went to England, worked in restaurants in England. Mm -hmm. um, nothing outrageous, but got some more bartending experience yeah. there. And then when I came back, I worked political campaigns. Um, really? What, when, what year were you back? Uh, so left September 94 and back six months later. So Clinton or, era, right? Uh, yeah. But like the midterm period. Gotcha. Well, um, and so I got this job with, um, a political action committee called participation 2000 that mm -hmm. was, um, run by Bill Bradley, Bill Bradley, yeah, yeah. um, and Richards. Wow. And this guy, Dick Celeste, who was the governor of Ohio for a while. Very f and then familiar. And was like an ambassador to the UN, I think under Clinton or something. Yeah. Um, and at that point, there were they had twenty people, um, and it was was it in Jersey that they were doing this? They hired nationally. Okay, um, okay. they hired twenty recent college graduates, um, and we all went to D.C. for like a boot camp training oh, okay. thing, um, and they taught us how to run political campaigns, and then they sent us out to progressive, pro-choice candidates at every level of government. Wow! Um, so they sent me to Lynchburg, Virginia. Lynchburg. 
um, for a state house race. Um, and it was, you know, there was people that got these, got us, we, we got paid $500 a week plus housing. That was like what we made. Yeah. And we were supposed to come into a situation that was well set up for sure. us to like learn stuff and do yeah, work. Absolutely. And I got there and it was like the dude who was running and this kind of useless woman. Um, and I was, what was her, was she, like, she was the campaign manager. Oh, but I, I mean, see. she was, okay. she was, just, she was collecting a check yeah. I mean, she was not great at what she did. What level was it? Like house? Uh, yeah, House of Delegates. So House the, of Delegates, okay. Um, and the, I remember I called up the Participation 2000 office in D.C. and I was like, there's <laughs> nobody here. And they were like, good luck. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, but you're getting a paycheck though still, right? $500 a week. I mean, yeah. and, a, and a basement to sleep in. Um, but it was, it was, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll make the best of it. And um, the guy I was working for was the first african-american to ever be elected to citywide office in lynchburg oh that's amazing um post-civil war yeah um and he'd been a print like a local principal in the school mm -hmm. system an interesting guy good, good guy um, and we were running jerry falwell lived in lynchburg uh -huh. and we were running against somebody who's in his church yeah and you know lynchburg is not the most democratic of towns right um yeah, although typically Virginia, how does Virginia vote? It's kind of split, uh, it's, right? it's it's split now. It wasn't at that point. It, it had been Democratic through like the Wilder administration, yeah, which had yeah. ended about ninety two, I think ninety one, um, and then it had switched, and like the Clinton years had kind of turned it deep red for a while. Yeah, and now yeah, it's coming yeah. back, okay. but it, it um, and Lynchburg was kind of is was always kind of a bellwether town. It wasn't like hardcore right wing conservative, right. but there was that chunk of it like the Falwell chunk was there amazingly it was right, kind of like a mirror right. image of the state and people's you know as Lynchburg goes the state goes um, was kind of the, the thought at that point and it, it's not true anymore from yeah. what I understand that like it's a little the city has gotten a little more conservative overall as yeah. time has gone on or as Virginia has changed interesting um but the so managed to raise about half a million dollars I still don't know how for this <laughs> guy um, <laughs> were you on the side of the road with a sign no I mean like there was one they taught us fundraising so like yeah. I just kind of Use their pre-generated stuff, put our lo logo on it, send uh, it out, and it kind of worked. And I was really? just like, just one of those deals where, like, and you know, got some pack endorsements and yeah, some yeah, other yeah. stuff where, like, some, you know, money was coming in for some unions and some some other stuff. And I had no idea what I was doing, like, not a not a clue. Um, you were how uh, twenty twenty one or twenty two? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which is one of the scariest things in the world is that the, like actual. If you if you think elections are what makes government, the government is run by like twenty three year olds. It's really it's really, it's really fucking terrifying. Just like like with the lights off, just trying to feel their way through it, right? Um, and so like you know got this money in, and it was like all right, so we can do television. Oh. Um, and the state party in Virginia had like these vendors, um, and we picked one, and the guy came down, and like he, like before he came down, it's like you know this is our concepts, these are our lo what locations we need, and mm. these are the kind of extras we need and, and other stuff. So I was like, well, I'd done theater in college. And I was like, so it's like stage management, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Find the locations, book out the times, yep, get your yep. extras, write up your charts and handed them off. And we, we did the shoot. It was supposed to take two days. It took one because it was organized. Yeah. And the guy was like, the guy who, the media consultant was like, this was better organized than most like big races that I do. Yeah. Um, give me your resume. I'll keep you in mind. And just kind of through that, I got other jobs and, in the in the same and in the in the same right? industry. So like the Lynchburg election, uh, we it was we lost by seven votes. Are you kidding me? Um, and, yeah, still to this God. day, it's just like you'd only tried harder, Bill. You could have got those seven votes. <laughs> if it hadn't rained on election day, we probably would have won. Is what oh, is what the, what they're Jesus. saying. And I, I'll never like I was down. I was I was in Richmond shortly after that election, um, and ran into the guy that beat us at a bar, and I was oh, like, man. what is this? 
hardcore and he's drinking. He sent me a beer, which was nice. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and I went over and I congratulated him. And I was like, what do you, you know, you're out here in this like pickup joint. Like, what, what do you, he's like, I don't believe any of that shit. Oh, man. Just like, and that was kind of politics for me in a yeah. nutshell at that point. But I, um, the guy who, who did the media campaign put me in touch with um, a campaign that was a Democratic primary campaign for U.S. Senate in Virginia, mm-hmm. kind of an outsider candidate. Um, the guy who was running that race is actually Bernie Sanders, Iowa state director right now. It's very no strange. Kidding. Wow. Um, and he, um, you know, so we, we did this insurgent campaign. We got our asses kicked, but it had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then that guy went on to run the last guy to run against Strom Thurmond in South Carolina. Really? Um, and he brought me down to be the research. Like I was kind of moving away f- into research and media and he, mm-hmm. so I went down and did the research director on that. I was making a ton of money. Um, and just, do you like it though? Um, no, I, I my, no matter again a, a similar theme, right? You got a lot of money, but do you like what you're doing to get it? Yeah, and it was. I mean, it, like I still love politics. I love the I love the game of it. I love yeah. watching it. And but I got into it as a kind of liberal idealist. Uh-huh. And you know, you, two things happen to people who work in in politi- professional politics. I think is one you get we call them, you call them true believers, uh-huh. and they go off in there and they're always idealists. Yeah, idealists. Yeah. Or people just want to like they they just want to do their job and win, right? And they and I was moving into that side of it. Or it's just a matter of winning, not a matter of ideology. And it was the people I was working for, um, with the exception of Leslie Byrne, who was the kind of um, outsider candidate that I'd mm-hmm. worked for in Virginia, um, who was just a remarkably smart, compassionate um, person who lived her values. Yeah, um, I was, was kind of like everybody I had a chance to work for. I, I, the guy in South Carolina. God bless him. Um, he was a super rich, self-made millionaire, right. dem- you know, DC recruited guy uh, who they knew they wouldn't have to write any checks for, essentially, because right, he right. had all the money self-made, in the world. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, it was like the second day that I was in South Carolina, um, was filling out. I had to fill out this candidate questionnaire from some special interest group thing, mm-hmm. and I, was, I didn't know the answer to a question. I had never seen any policy papers on this issue, and I called him up, and I was like, hey, what, what's your deal with this? And he's like, you tell me. Oh Jesus! Really? I was like, okay, that, it was that kind of people, and it was like, if I'm going to dedicate, I mean, it's hard work doing I bet, campaigns, yeah. and it's you know, it's eighty hour weeks, hundred hour weeks, hundred and twenty hour weeks. Sometimes as the as you get closer and closer, yeah, yeah. And I just couldn't dedicate my life to working for people like that. Yeah. Um, and I was probably two cycles away, two election cycles away from being able to go work for a consulting firm somewhere in DC wow. and, and do that and be and, be, uh, be the the Remy guy on House of Cards. Yeah, I mean, and like, yeah. or not not a lobbyist so much, but because I didn't care about, um, I didn't care about governing. I like the I like the election part of it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the but like you know going to work for a media company or something. And, gotcha. Um, it was it, I, so I started to apply to grad schools, and um, during the South Carolina race, I got into Sarah Lawrence for writing. Oh, wow. um, and was like, what do I do? Um, do I go to graduate school for writing, or do I keep doing this? Did you have a, a good not not a re- your resume seems incredibly detailed, padded, well, right. great great experiences. But getting into grad school, did you have to rely on any of that stuff? No, did you have to I make mean, any calls or someone to get you in there. No, I had a professor as an undergraduate who uh, in the writing department who was an advocate for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, you basically you, you take the GRE and the transcripts right. and the. And then for the writing programs, it was fiction samples on my for my side. And okay. um, I applied to the Iowa Writers Workshop, uh, Columbia, which are you know the two best known writing programs Absolutely, in the country, yeah. um, and NYU and Sarah Lawrence. 
um, and got him to Sarah Lawrence. Nobody else wanted me. Okay. Um, and other than the fact that I'm going to be paying for it until the day that I die, uh, it was a great I, experience. Uh, understand, Bill. I understand <laughs> the same dilemma there. Yeah. Um, it was you know it was just a wonderful two years and uh, for for creative writing for for fiction writing yeah. for fiction for fiction. What any particular angle for you? Any particular genre or sub segment of that that particularly interested you? Um, I was I I came out of like my my initial appreciation was for kind of the modern the modernists particularly wolf oh yeah um bonfire and, of the vanities right no virginia not, virginia not was Thomas, sorry, Thomas. yeah like going back um <laughs> and then as i i, I mean I, I read and i read constantly at that point I, I i read less now than i used to and it's yeah. something i wish was a little different but the um some of the more postmodern is not the right way but you know the magic realists certainly were influential yeah. to me at that point um garcia marquez mm. um and, and you know that crowd the latin american crowd but right. also um some more of the postmodern people in this country uh rick Pinchon? modi rick modi i'm never a big pension fan um yeah. i always found him a little too ma- masturbatory <laughs> yeah uh, and, and uh, you know but, and you know rick modi was about as far as i got i, I can handle about half a david foster wallace like i like the short stuff but the yeah. novels start to drive me crazy um, but you're finding some kind of boy. I mean, because you, you're bound to have had. So you've got this experience. You're from Jersey, which, at least from my understanding, you guys have a good. You have a voice. Oh yeah, we, we, we certainly uh, a voice not there. shy people. Yeah, and so it's getting crafted and kind of carved out a little bit more defined. And do you think by the point where you're going to Sarah Lawrence, you had found your voice? No, it, not when I started. No, um, not at all. Um, I was very much. In the mode of pastiche, I guess oh, at that point, like okay, you know okay. the, and I think anybody who does any creative work, I mean, music, art, right, um, right. bartending, yeah, um, cooking, it, the you start by imitating, yep, um, and I was very much imitative. I think when I started, and over those two years, I discovered something of a voice, I guess, yeah, um, because it was just, and you know. All that time while I was doing that, I was supporting myself by bartending. Interesting. Um, these these two these two paths kind of ran parallel. Kind of ran parallel. Yeah. Um, and when I finished, you know, as part of your your to, to get out, um, you have to c- complete a book length thesis. Book like thesis. Book length. Book there be a collection okay, okay, of short okay, okay. stories and sure. a novel, novel, two novellas. So you what, can do it any way you want. Whatever you want. Single novel, multiple. Yeah. yeah collections. A couple novellas, whatever, right, whatever, right. whatever, but it's got to be book length. Is, sure. is what it's described what, what, as. What kind of criteria are we talking? Hundred pages, two hundred pages. Um, I don't really remember. To is, be honest with you, I, yeah. I, I, just a lot. Book length. Yeah. Was, you know, with uh, forty pages probably wouldn't do it. Eighty as a novella might. I don't. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so I, about halfway through the first year, I kind of started to develop where I was going to go with that project. Yeah. Um, and then the second year is there's not a lot of classroom work in the second year. It's mm-hmm. kind of a writing workshop and one other class a semester, and then you're just banging, working on this thesis. Yeah. Um, and I, fin- I finished, and the thesis was accepted, and I had a professor named Susan Thames, um, who's a really talented, really good writer, um, remains a very good friend of mine. She's up in um, Putnam County in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, at when I was graduating, she was on the podium, and um, we had become really close friends. And yeah. she gave me a big hug, and she said, you know, she's like, if you don't finish this book... Um, I will cut you down and stab you. Um, and she's the kind of person. Good who, motivation. She's the kind of person who would probably hunt me down and stab me. She might not stab <laughs> yeah. to kill, but she would definitely in the leg or something yeah. and really piss you off. Um, and she told me she's like, when you're finished, I will put it in the hands of my agent. 
Um, and so I, I was like, all right, I'll take a year and, and make sure I get this thing right. And I, about a year later, I had finished it. Wait, I thought, wait, what year are we talking, 99? 98 okay. was when I finished. Okay. So 99 started the process, I guess. 99, 2000. Oops, sorry. Yeah, that's right. um, and uh, we... Uh, and so I called Susan up, and I was like, "Look, I, th- I think I got to finish manuscript here. Like, I think I'm, I'm ready to go." And yeah. She was like, "Awesome." Um, unfortunately, I fired my agent last week. Oh shit! And I was like, "All right, that's that's cool." And but she kind of walked me through the process of how you go about soliciting mm-hmm. an agent, and in in a way that is um, not annoying mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. the agents that. Um, and the first one I wrote to uh, was a, got back to me. Very very quickly, um, she was with a very big agency, and it was kind of like I had to kind of rank them as like long, your preference. Well, like longest shot, like you know, th- 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 this is the one I want, but I'm not right, going to get right. down to like yeah, you know, I had identified like eight or nine people. Who, a grade, B grade, but, and like agents, you can find out who agents represent. Uh-huh. Um, there's some resources for that, like reference books, but they're not current all the time. But right, if you, right. even if you, you're looking at like the acknowledgments page on a writer's work you like. Mm-hmm. And they often thank their agent, so you can like kind of makes sense, yeah. So you're doing some research, doing some research, and she got back to me and said, "I love this book. I want to rep it." Um, and she did, and it was right around this time of year. It was right, right around the holidays when we started. It was actually late fall when we started to go meet publishers. Mm-hmm. Fall of 2000. Yeah, I think so. It was either 99 or 2000. Yeah. I can't remember the, the actual. Uh, I know when the publication date was, but I, right. Uh, and we, uh, you know, met with. The first one we met with was kind of my dream house, and um, the editor said all these things that were amazing, and I was like, I want to work with this person. Yeah. Um, and they passed, um, oh, and man. then they, another one passed, and another one passed, and I was just like, man, this, I don't know if this is gonna happen. And uh, I was, I remember talking to her, and I was like, I don't ever want to work on New Year's Eve behind a bar again. Uh, at that point, yeah. And she was like, you really, you you saw it, you saw yeah. the writing career on the. Um, and it was the week between Christmas and New Year's. She called the bar. Where I was working, she's like, "You can give your notice. I've sold it." Oh wow! Um, and it, at the time, I mean, the check that I got was staggering to me. It was yeah. it was more money than I'd ever seen in a yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, and you were making good money when, in the politics. I, I was, yeah. I mean, yeah. That had been a few years since that. You know, I've been yeah, on yeah. graduate student rations for a couple <laughs> years, yeah. and then living in New York and working in the service industry, where you can do pretty well, but you're still living in New York, Absolutely. so it's, you're not saving anything. Sucking it all out. Um, yeah. And so I sold it, and I started to teach. Started well, to teach? I, yeah, I was te- I did adjunct teaching um, for I, for writing. I taught at Hofstra on Long Island. I taught at Parsons School of Design. I taught English one hundred and one. No kidding. Um, I taught at the New School for a little bit. I taught at Pratt downtown, and then the Gotham Writers Workshop. You know the yellow boxes that are all yeah. over New York. And so I was doing that to kind of, and then living off the book money and. The book came out on uh, September eleventh, two thousand one. Was my yeah. publication date. I yeah, um, and it you know it not the best day in the world for. Well, so give me some context of what the book. What's what was the book called? Book's called Snapshots. Snapshots. Um, you is... can get, you can buy it on Amazon. I think for thirteen cents right now. Thirteen cents. Yeah, it's, it's it's thoroughly out of print, but you can get a used copy real cheap. No kidding. What it? Can you give me? You, you have to like recap it, but what ultimately? Is what what is the voice of the book? What's the theme um, it is twenty five years in the life of a family, yeah, um, but told through eight days, interesting um, okay. backwards. So it starts in nineteen ninety seven and it works back to nineteen seventy two, mm-hmm. and I it's been a very long time since I've looked at it, but I mean, it was a day in ninety seven, a day in ninety four, a day in eighty eight, 
um there's six people in the family um and it shifts from all of into all of their heads all their perspectives over the over the course of those days yeah. and then there's like this kind of omniscient perspective that pulls back every once in a while right uh, how'd you f- obviously situations beyond your control and people's attentions are elsewhere and thus it's really hard to market and in the grand scheme of things the success or failure of my book not a big fucking deal yeah didn't matter but how'd you feel about it then um you know the worst thing ever i the 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 worst thing no i mean because no i don't think you know i lived in new york when and when that happened when september 11th happened it was so staggering yeah um and i think i will argue this with anyone um if you weren't in new york or washington that day um, don't really y- your experience of what that is day is about is completely different yeah, i'm sure you, you may know what it's about but like the way in which it felt to be in that space at, at right that time you probably is, even smell it in the air kind of thing oh there was smoke in our apartment yeah um, it was, like, that's the kind of stuff like you don't get a sense of being in austin when that happens yeah and like i remember i i was teaching that morning i left the, i left the city at seven to go to long island to teach on a train and mm-hmm. um I had a 9 a.m. class, and so I didn't know it had happened until after I got out of yeah. my class. And there was a bunch of us who taught there who lived in the city, and we couldn't get home yeah. because they'd shut down the transportation. Right. Um, and there was a guy that I worked with um, who lived in Red Hook in Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. he had driven in that day. Uh, unusually, like most people didn't drive or didn't yeah, cars. Right. And um, he came and grabbed me, and he's like, look, he's like, I want to go home and hug my kids. Um, I'm gonna try. Like, let's do you want to get in the car here, with yeah. me? And I was like, Yeah, let's do it. And it, it was 26 miles from the campus to my apartment, uh-huh. um, and it took us seven and a half hours to drive it. Jesus, um, just traffic. And- uh, well, a lot of the roads were closed, like the major arteries. So, like, we kind of yeah. had to sneak in. Um, and the the street signs change color when you leave um, Nassau County and get into Queens County or yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, they go from like blue to green or something. And like, suddenly I looked up and there was green street signs. I was like, Oh, we're we're in the city. Close, yeah. Um, and then it was just traffic after that, um, wow. but like finding a way that wasn't closed to get into town. And I got home, and I mean, I hadn't been able to get in touch with anybody that day. And like, yeah. I, I had cousins who worked in the financial district and friends who were down there, and like, it was just kind of like making making sure everybody was okay. And they right. were. And I remember I was, we had two doors down from me. There was this guy. I think his name was Ricky. Um, he was just kind of a crackhead mm-hmm. dude who lived with his parents. What area of town were you living in? Uh, what is now a very nice part of Park Slope, um, okay. but at the time we called Park Slop. <laughs> um, and I was, took my dog out to walk. It was like nine or ten at night, and I had been gotten home and watching, right? And watching and watching on TV, and you know you could see the cloud coming across the river, basically to our apartment, and that smell. Uh, um, and what's the smell like? It's almost indescribable. Um, it something like an electric fire, yeah. like that kind of ozony right, thing. Right, yeah. um, but I don't know that there's a word for it. Um, it's, it's just it's, the way I just I wrote an essay about it um, a couple of years later after it happened, and I, I it's like I just I I'd never before been downwind from a crematorium was the yeah, best way I knew. That's exact. That's an amazing way um, to describe it. And I was like, well, I took my dog out, and the crackhead dude was sitting on his front stoop, and you could it was beautiful the weather. Yeah. Um, and it was a crystal clear night and you could just see that, you know, the cloud was just still coming across the, the skyline and, yeah. and he's like, Hey man, you can see those people's faces in there. Holy shit. And it was just like, that's amazingly poetic. Yeah. And dark at the same and, and time. I was just like, he's kind of right. Like, you, I Holy mean, like, and it's just, I, it, wow. So like, you know, some small first novel 
whatever. Yeah. Um, and in some of the mechanical things about it, like the family in the book is Irish Catholic, and there's a weekly newspaper, national newspaper called the Irish Echo, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be a front page review interview with me on the Irish Echo. Oh, really? The about, week the, about, the the, about the week the book came out, um, but. Know, half the firefighters and cops who died on 9-11 were Irish. So, like, it was filled with obituaries for yeah. weeks. And, like, I can't complain about that. Like, I'm, that's the most yes. maybe the most selfish thing in the world. And yeah. it was on the front page of the Hartford Current book review that mm-hmm. weekend, the Sunday. Um, and really nice review. And the But the trucks to get the books from the warehouse to, like, the Barnes & Nobles in Hartford couldn't right. get out of the warehouse because the warehouse was in New York. So, like, there were no books in Connecticut. Like, wow. it's just, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Man, that's, it's, it's faithful for you, you know. Um, but, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, who cares? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, was, was su- it was sucked it, for me personally, but a whole lot more sucked for other people. Absolutely. But, but did it kind of, as things kind of blow over, so to speak, did your involvement and maybe your passion for being a part of that industry kind of wane as well i don't think so i mean i think the i was kind of diligently working on a second book at that point yeah um and i was it it's weird because the i had pretty much stopped bartending at that point Mm -hmm. i I had stopped because you were teaching i was teaching and and, um so you know teaching is the i had to kind of readjust my work hours my yeah. personal work hours because I, before it was in, go to the restaurant at night do my thing right get home sleep for a little bit get up write a little bit and go to work and mm-hmm. come back and then but like you know teaching especially when i was going to long island for the day or whatever it was like you know, it's like a real nine to five almost yeah. and you know getting out seven in the morning back seven thirty eight at night just like i don't want to do this right now so right. it was kind of slowing that down a little bit um and then you know the, all the work you have to do outside of class your reading and grading and particularly yeah. when you're teaching writing was was eating into that other time and so what's left i mean no it was hard left, i mean right? and so but i was also broke i mean i was like adjunct, working your ass off working my ass off broke. and broke and yeah. there was a little uh restaurant around the corner that i liked with a good with a good bar and i kind of walked in there one day and i was just like good job and they, and they hired me you know and it was just yeah. like so i was doing both for a while jesus really? and the, the first night i got back behind the bar i made more in that night than i made a week's worth of teaching at three different colleges and i was just like at the end of the semester i'm done teaching like yeah. it's just because you can still write you just not like you have to yeah te- you don't um, have to teach i like the teaching very much like sure. I, I i really i like the environment i like doing it um but it was just like it's not until you get to that point where you're tenured and stuff or full-time at the yeah, very least yeah. um the the compensation is a joke and the i was applying for full-time creative writing jobs mm-hmm. all over the country um but you know you look at my you know adjunct experience in one book there's thousands of people like that applying for those jobs wow. um just didn't ever crack you know didn't so you like I can make more money doing this other thing. I think I'm going to do this other and do this thing. other thing, and you know that's kind of what I did. Yeah. Um, and until 2001, I'm trying to remember when I came here. A couple, it was a couple more years where I, you know, was pretty solidly working, and then yeah, um, had a really bad personal year, a bad breakup, and yeah. um, 
Good fodder for writing, though, if you wanted it to be. Yeah, it was mostly a good fodder for drinking for me. <laughs> uh, I was not, not did not respond very healthily to that. Uh, yeah. that breakup. Not a high and, school sweetheart or anything like that. No, but like you know, the person I thought was the the, the one. Right, know, and, right. Um, it was uh, it was rough. It was, and I came here. I had a st- former student who had been admitted to the Mickner Center for Writers, mm-hmm. um, and she and I had become pretty good friends. We were very, you know close in age, yeah. um, and she and her now husband invited me down for ACL. Just to, like hang out, yeah. Just get out, of, get out of New York for a long yeah, weekend, yeah. and I was like, oh, I can't afford it. What, what uh, year are we talking? Two thousand two. It was the year that I think it was it, third, like, or third or fourth year of ACL. Okay, um, Pixies. Oh, nice. That was yes. That was two thousand three or four. Okay, okay. Yeah, when they yeah. were when they came back together, saw them in Coachella. That it was year. the it was the Pixies headline year. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I was like, I can't afford it. Da, 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 da. And then I happened to pull up like uh, what the early like Priceline was uh-huh. the, the Price first line. the first yeah, like yeah, yeah. the first cheap airfare thing on on, on my dial up internet. <laughs> um, and like put in Austin, and for that weekend there was a flight for like hundred and ninety bucks round oh, trip, incredible. and I was like. Called him up. I was like, I'm coming. Yeah. Um, and she lived in this little house um, off 32nd and Red River and like this, uh-huh. this little yeah. cottage behind somebody else's house. Um, and I was on the couch and the, the whole front of it was um, glass. It was like a sliding glass oh, wow. door and it faced due east and there were no curtains on it. And I like, we went out, like I got, I think I got here the day before the festival started mm-hmm. and we went, to, I went to Trudy's. Um, yeah. And like, not so yeah, bad when you're looking uh, for it. And you know, went, went to bed relatively early, and I woke up at 6 because the sun was pouring into the room, and I don't yeah. think I'd seen 6 from that side ever in, in five or six years. Yeah. You know, that, 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 and you know, knew they were sleeping, and I knew they weren't going to be waking up anytime soon. And so I just kind of left a note, went for a walk, and ended up in Hyde Park and stopped at Quacks and got a cup of coffee and a pastry and like, walked back. I was like, it's kind of peaceful here. It's nice. Yeah. Especially at that point. Uh, and I went home after the festival. Yeah, it was a very different city then, for sure. Totally different. Um, I don't. I miss some of it. I don't miss a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't miss the restaurants. No. Um, or the cocktail. Yeah, the cocktails. cocktails. The food and drink is... It's much better. Now. Much, much better. Yeah. Quacks is killer, though. That was a great... Because it's not over there anymore. It's still there. Oh, that that particular one? Yeah, okay. that one. It's not... not, not wasn't the one on the, the east side. It was the oh, one at, like... Okay, okay. Uh, Red River and Forty Third or whatever, whatever that is. Yeah, or Duval and Forty Third. Yeah, right, across yeah, from Rusty. Yeah. Um, and the, I went home and I, a couple like a week or so later, I went out to dinner with my mom and she was like, "How was Austin?" I was like, "It was really great. Like, I felt really comfortable." And she's like, "Maybe you should think about moving there." She said that. Yeah, and I was like, "What?" She's like, "Just go for six months. Get out. Get away. You're, you've been miserable." She, she could see it. Um, and I was like, "I don't know." Da, 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 and so I decided. I came back thank- the day after Thanksgiving and said, I'm going to give myself this Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if I can find a place to live that I like and that I can afford, uh, You're doing I'll, 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 come, I'll come down for yeah. uh, six months or a year, depending on what I can get for a lease. And um, found this little duplex in Hyde Park, um, like 43rd and G. It was kind of right. Oh, nice. And, yeah. You know, the, I think the rent was $650 a month, which is less than what I was paying for like my share to room right, in an right. apartment in New York, not shared room, but my, my room in a shared apartment in New York. Yeah. People I didn't know very well. And, so it's an upgrade. And it was like, I was going to live by myself. Mm. Um, and the woman was willing to give me a six-month lease. And I was just like, Pfft. Was that more appealing than a 12? Just because you can put your feet in the water and test it out? Yeah, it's so. like I didn't have to commit, you know? Yeah, like it yeah. was a, 
it was like come down six months. It was you know December to June. See mm-hmm. how I feel about it. And are we talking? Are you like uh, mid late twenties now? No, I was probably if it was two thousand four, I was thirty two. Thirty two. Oh, okay. So you'd had yeah. a career already. Yeah. Um, if you can call it that, I guess. But the the uh, <laughs> I'd call it a career. It was good. And the it was just like you know I went back to New York and I had a friend who was selling her eighty eight Volvo for five hundred bucks, so I bought it because I had mm-hmm. a car. Um, sold most of my stuff. If it didn't fit in the Volvo, it wouldn't co- didn't come with me. Yeah. Um, except for my books and records. Like I I I, went, I shipped all those media rates, so they got here like a month after I did. Um, <laughs> so couple at least, of them, at least co- they arrived. Co- couple boxes went missing. Oh it's, shit! It's, really? It's, uh, it really. There's only one book that I know of for certain, but um, Juno Diaz's Drown, his first collection. Yeah, I'm um, not familiar with that. He's one. a he's a New Jersey guy, and um, he's really really good, and I. Like I like him as a human being, and, yeah. like, and he had I had met him just as I was finishing my first book, and we were at the same publishing house, and yeah, um, like I think we he wasn't with Lisa, but we had, you know, we were both at Riverhead, and like he we had met an event, and he I brought a first edition of his book, and he signed it, and like that one's gone missing, and it oh me shit, out. Um, but it, all, everything else pretty the much got part, the most, yeah. the most part got there, and um, I, my first job in Austin, uh, I was I got a job. Bartending at Manuel's, on the uh, on Congress, Congress, yeah, yeah, um, and they just like it just was not a very good fit. Like, yeah, um, how are they still open? Food's good. I haven't been in years, but the food's good, and the location. Awesome. I, I would assume they have a, either own that building or they have a great deal on the rent. Must have something, um, yeah. But the yeah, it was just and so like this guy. This guy came in one night and he was in there a few times and he was opening a club on, on downtown and it was. Yeah, offered me a job and I had never done club work and I uh-huh. figured like it's got to be easy right you're just throwing vodka red bulls at people making a lot of money um, <laughs> were so, you how wrong were you I was so so wrong um, and I, I but I took the job and I mean it was fucking miserable which which club was it it's a place called Vici um, Vici oh, I don't even it's, remember it's that. in the place it was polyesters ah uh, okay and, and it was Vici and now it is a gay bar no kidding. Um, and it was it was owned by the Yassin brothers. You oh, know? there you go. Um, yeah. And that's all I'll say about that because I don't want to get knifed in my sleep. <laughs> but there, uh, it, it was not. It was a little bit shady. Yeah. Um, it was a lot. Did you shady. like the people that were there? No, it was fucking terrible. Terrible, right? It was terrible. Yeah. And the money was awful. Oh, really? You'd figure awful. I, I thought it would be good. Um, it was only good if you were on like certain bars and only certain people got put on those bars. Gotcha. And, okay. Um, I had, um, when I first moved to town, I had left resumes at like every restaurant in town. Yeah. Um, and no one was either hiring or wanted to hire me for whatever reason. And, um, the, uh, one of the places I left a resume was Asti. Asti. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Stubbs, who was going who was working at Asti then and became the GM at Fino for yeah. the opening. I, it was right around my birthday. So it was like mid June, I think, or early June. And he had, Worked a, I had worked a shift at the club the night before where it was like, you know, I'd gone in at nine and gotten out at like five in the morning and rung like six or seven K through my register and like walked out with like $93 oh in tips or God. something. And it was just, Dang. it was just like, it's just, you know, I stopped on the way home and like bought a pack, six pack of Schlitz. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> drinking Schlitz in my house. Yeah. The, you know, we got this call. So we're opening this restaurant called Fino and I went and interviewed and they hired me, and I was like, ready. I was like, I was going to give them notice properly. And then I was, I realized I was like, I've never gotten a paycheck from these people in the in the five months I've worked here. What do they deserve? Um, yeah. And 
I had just another one of those nights where I just got crushed and made no money at the end of it. Like, there's the people who went to that club just did not fucking tip. Um, and at like five, six in the morning, by the time they were like, it took forever to get out. It wasn't because you were cleaning. It was just because the cash out procedures took days. Yeah. And I'm sure it's because they were doing something on the back end. Probably. It wasn't legit. And the, I was like, and I handed, when I handed in my stuff and I was walking out the door, I was like, by the way, I'm not coming back. <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm not going to be here. To, like my shift tomorrow, you're going to have to get that covered because I'm not coming in. Yeah. Um, and, and they're like, well, you, you won't have a job then. I was like, that's right. Exactly. Good yeah. Work. That, yeah. I'm not gonna be here. Um, and then you know, Fino opened, and it wasn't right away, but within six or eight months, um, this kind of like mini epiphany, where it was like suddenly, like this is my job. Like maybe yeah. I should try and get good at it. Um, good point. Well, it's something that might last, right? Right. Like, and but it's like this is what I do, right? Yeah. This is And. Take some pride. I, in I, it. I can come in and do what I do this, or I can learn and, and evolve, and and I will be for you know forever grateful to the foxes for giving me the freedom to fail there. Mm-hmm. Um, that they they kind of like let me bring ideas and run with them, and um, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. It was uh, they they allowed me to make a career for myself. Which yeah, is pretty pretty rad. So you're you're true. Coming out in Austin, it seems like at Fino, creatively, especially. Yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly it was the Cocktail World Cup thing. Yeah. Um. Where. And to be perfectly honest, at that point in time, I didn't know my ass from my elbow. Right. But uh, is it at least a, a good stage for you to start learning, right? Yeah, and I mean, when I won that deal and got sent to New Zealand, the, you know, I was on a team with Charles Jolly. Oh no shit. Um, in New Zealand, and like. I realized about 15 minutes after the plane touched down in Queenstown that like yeah. my, my I needed to sh- just shut the fuck up and listen for most of the time that I was there. And, yeah. you know, it's not to say that I didn't contribute to what we did. Sure, but you uh, wanted to learn. You wanted to get... But, I mean, there were, like, Joel Baker from Bourbon and Branch was there, Sam Ross from Milk and Honey, wow. Charles, uh, I mean, and just crazy bartenders from all over the world, like, just really talented, talented people. Um, and these people knew more than I did. And it was very, very clear to me very, very quickly that they knew more than I did. And, but I mean, working with Charles for seven days, at, even that long ago, um, I learned more probably about my job in that week than I had in all the years that I'd worked at a bar wow. beforehand um, and came back just on fire, you know, yeah. with desire to... Inspired, right? Yeah. Invigorated. So what, would, what was the main takeaway you think from Fino, like flavor-wise? What was something that you say, like, this is the thing that I get now? Oh God! It, I'm sure there's lots. Everything. Of stuff, but... I mean, balance for sure. Like coming to understand balance. Yeah. Um, and a lot. There was so much on the fly improv- improvisation in the beginning of of that, where like you know Amanda Rockman was the pastry chef then, mm-hmm. um, and I'd walk in for my lunch shift on a Wednesday, and she'd be doing something, and she'd hand me like the syrup that had come off of something she's been making. Oh, she's like, man. "Can you use this?" And so like you know, we develop a drink special for the weekend sure. with it. Um, and then, I mean, spirit knowledge, um, started there and it started more from the wine side. And it's a lot of credit to Josh. I mean, Josh ran weekly wine tastings that were mandatory in there Mm -hmm. that, um, elevated. I had worked for um, a restaurant in New York. Um, it was the first fresh juice place I'd ever made. It was actually worked at. It was where I learned how to make a proper mojito and a proper margarita. And 
owned by a guy named Fernando Saralegi, who actually lives in Austin now. No kidding. Um, and that wine list there was um, curated by Michael Skarnick, the importer. Oh, okay. um, So it was, it was 100% Skarnick wines, and learned a lot about wine in that building. But yeah. the Fino wine education um, was spectacular. Amazing. Um, but it, it, I imagine it... it, it it encourages you to think, and it kind of helps things percolate. Like the, it's yeah, just, I mean, it's the thinking about inception of flavor an and how to taste yeah. and how to smell, and um, and and that was certainly part of it. And then I, I will never ever forget this day. There was a, it wasn't John. I'm trying to remember who he was with then, but um, was Siem, was Siem Brazil was being launched in Texas. Uh-huh, okay. and whoever the original distributor was brought David Soto, yeah, to, for lunch, and I had lunch with him, and. He tasted the Sambrozo Blanco and mm-hmm. it's delicious. And he, and he came and said, like, we walked into the bar and he's like, this is a beautiful bar. Um, you've got, you know, beautiful cocktails and, and beautiful product, but why are you serving such crappy tequila? <laughs> and I mean, you know, you've known, you know, David, and yeah, he's yeah. not a coarse guy. He is not. He's gentle. Um, gentle, and nice guy. It wasn't said in like this, like, it wasn't aggressive. It was, sure. but like, I think it's the most, um, spirited i've ever heard him be about yeah. in public anyway yeah, like such sure. privately sometimes he'll yes, get a yeah, little salty get a little more real but... um and you know it, it that sent me down a course of learning about agave starting to learn about agave spirits yeah. um and you know about it was about the same time that um imbibe came out the first edition of imbibe mm-hmm. like you know reading that um i did a bar sparts course at that point um and like you know that's everything's coming together everything's kind of coming together and like um you know Luckily, I was in a place that allowed me to do stuff with that knowledge instead yeah. of having to like, you know, sit Just in my basement and tinker and, and yeah. yeah, becoming of age in a sense. Like, because because when I when I met you, I was you were kind of equated as the mezcal guy, right? You even had the the flavor of gelato with the mezcal, yeah. you know, like so so to somehow in some kind of narrative in Austin, you are equated to agave spirits and mezcal. But what what do you think it is about that stuff that particularly interests you? Um, I think of all like my my first love is Irish whiskey. Yeah. Um, oh no kidding. Yeah, it's just and that's just because, like you know, my grandmother rubbed Jameson's on my gums when I was teething. As, yeah, as an yeah. Infant. And you know, the first bottles I ever bought that weren't like handles of pop off mm. were Jameson bottles. So, really? Like, so you're a Jameson guy? I'm not not so much anymore. I mean, I'll drink it, but, but it's I in, mean, it's in your like blood, pure, maybe right, literally. Yeah, pure yeah. pot still Irish whiskey, like the, yeah. the green spots, red the breasts. yellow spots, the red breasts. Like um, that that was always my first love, and then that obviously leads you towards bourbon and scotch. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And but the agave stuff, I think when it's done right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so infrequently done right. It's on the tequila side at this point. Tequila, yeah. Uh, most mezcals, most mezcals, yeah, of a great level I mean, of quality. Um, you know, it's the only, it's the only spirit that's made from a raw material that doesn't spend more than, or that spends more than one growing season in the ground. Right, right. Um, and so, it's the only, and it's you know, it's it's frequently unaged. Yeah, which is even more. It, it's like those bright lights on old skin. Yeah, it, you're it, very exposed. And it when it's done right, um, the sense of place that's yeah. involved in that. And I like I re- in the '90s, late '90s, that place in New York, um, we had a 75. I think it was 75 tequilas in that oh, bar. Wow. Um, it was a, it was a kind of they called it a Gulf Rim Bistro. Okay. Um, so a lot like Veracruz, Cuba. Um, New Orleans, Texas coastal kind of cuisine. Uh, It was interesting food. Um, And so I was introduced to 
that stuff, you know, was before the acquisition started. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. So like right. pre-Brown Foreman Herodora ah. and the you know early Don Julio and the early Shinakos and like all that stuff that doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Um, and so when I went back to it, when I kind of and started to taste stuff again, it was very clear and like think about it that like this was not the same stuff that I remembered. Like the sense memory wasn't yeah. the same. Um, but you know, to take a, like a to sit down with a even. Siembra Azul versus uh, Siembra Valle. Yeah, and yeah, like, totally you know, different like experience. Same passion, same direction yep. in kind of stuff, and obviously with slightly different production methods, but they taste so different. Way different. Yeah. And they're both tequila, and it's about where that stuff is grown and mm-hmm. how it's touched after, and I don't think you get that with any other distilled spirit. I don't think so either. Yeah, bourbon, it's because bourbon's charm comes from the aging process comes from the wood i mean yeah. I, I can't remember who it was it was one of the big guys in bourbon he's like you know 80 percent of my work is done by the wood exactly yeah because you can make a good distillate but does, how does a corn distillate part wheat part rye part broth, whatever how does that really taste like yeah, it's fine right? and i mean you like unless you're doing like a farm to still kind of operation right. where like you're growing your own grain and like, yeah and, and it's still uh, not if you blind you know blind tested something people still wouldn't really be able to right. taste that much of a different frame it just can't um or like you know heirloom grain varieties or right. something like right, this right. that make it i don't know if, if it makes a difference or not I, in my it. experience it doesn't taste much different you know but, but i would assume that like just... the you know the corn coming into buffalo trace is coming from every possible place that they can buy ripe corn from yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, wild turkey, this much I know about. That, that's non-GMO corn. They've, they've had great supplies for years. and it's, You'd be surprised how many bourbon, how much bourbon is actually non-GMO. It's, they've had just old suppliers before that stuff happened, you know. And Buffalo Trace being a little bit newer, newer acquisition. Right. I mean, who, who knows that it's a little bit yeah, But, I mean, it's, like, it's not like they're buying, like, corn from one county in Iowa. Yeah, to, no. make, to make the, I mean, the economy of scale, you can't. It wouldn't make sense, yeah. But like, you know, if you, Lowland Agave... Tastes like Lola Nagave or yeah, it's like that one play. You have like Ocho twenty thirteen versus Ocho twenty eleven. Exactly. They don't taste the same, even though they're from the same place and they're made exactly the same way. Yeah. In that case, well, like, that's what makes it exciting. That's the main thing. With that's what the, for, it's closer to me, wine, I think. You know, abso- absolutely, that, absolutely. Yeah. But there's a just a, a larger sense of age. So you you know you talk about like a. Espadine is seven to ten years, I think, for maturity. I but think they, even longer sometimes. Some, yeah. Sure, sometimes. But you can, it's one you can pick right. up pretty young. But then a Tepestate is anywhere from 18 to 23 years. And like, you know, Quiches, they get up. And there's right, some right. of the, some of the, I can never, the, some of the Karwinskis take forever. Long time. And they're like tiny anyway. So yeah. like they're super concentrated. Yeah, the uh, Cupriatas take yeah. a long time. They can only be shade grown in a lot of cases, you know. So there is something that's very charming and very of the essence and of the time. It's like a snapshot of the terroir and the people and the weather in that particular time where bourbon again no matter how much i love bourbon it is the antithesis of mezcal to me because it's not fully exposed you almost can't taste this you can taste the dislip yeah. but not in the same you can taste way. if it's bad that's right right but you certain you can taste if it's good and, but if and, it's medium you can't it's can't tell having tasted white dog from a number of very solid bourbon makers yeah um you know, it's good. It's good, sure. Um, and like you know, the Maker's Mark Starhill is yeah. actually delicious. Uh-huh. Um, but is it transformative? And oh, no, it's, it's, it's like. But what happens? That alchemy once they get it and knowing when to take it out. That's and, right. And what to do with it if you're blending? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's an incredible skill set. But it's, it's not, totally it's, different. It's, yeah, set. it's yeah. not the same to me as like being able to I, the mezcals in particular. I mean, like 
I mean, you know, this espadine from here, this espadine from here, same right. plant. Totally different. And like whether it's distillation method or soil Fermen or fermentation, fermentation or crushing or Absolutely, like yeah. it's just they're just like these are, they're so unique. Um, and it's like, cool because there's no bourbon is a very rigid process and it has to be. And that's what the United States government to preserve the art of bourbon in a sense kind of instilled to make sure that that would happen. But with mezcal, how are you going to ferment it? Well, we'll use yeast. Cool. Right. These other guys won't use yeast. Some guys have this Rocia downstairs at Venenosa, which is incredible. That sits in ferments for over two weeks. You know what kind of funky shit gets in a ferment? If yeah, you that's, leave it I was going to say, that's a, lot, lot, yeah, that's a lot, lot of beasties. A long time, man. And it kind of changes and it gets really acidic and gets kind of creamy. You get lactic acid in there. And so there are all these wonderful different approaches to how to make a mezcal. And that's what makes it exciting because it is you're up against the wall and you're exposed as the distillate. You cannot cover it up. I'm terrified they're going to fuck it up. You think so? Well, I mean, just it, the influence of multinationals. Sure. Um, I mean, like Maybe the, the mescaleros aren't going to fuck it up. If no, they can't. If, if, they if don't know how to. Fuck right. It. If they're left to their to do what they've been doing for generations, they'll be yeah. fine. But like the if uh, Brown Foreman or Diageo or somebody somebody gets. I mean, their, Bacardi's already. Bacardi, yeah. yeah. Bacardi gets their hands and William Grant's down there. Um, it's possible, man. That the political influence. I mean, just because of the way the the norms are written. Yeah. For both tequila and mezcal, and, and how the how the power is concentrated, yeah, um, it's know. dangerous. It's yeah, a very it's slippery the, slope. You're gonna see. I, I I would hate to see what happened to tequila happen to mezcal. Yeah, and it take at least a decade off. I hope because it still takes. Uh, without it's also just it's also a much less approachable spirit in a lot of ways. So like, oh yeah, absolutely. I was like the, the market share is just probably not there in the same way. Yeah, because it's it's a little. You have to under You have to appreciate drinking alcohol and not just drink it for pleasure because sometimes like there's some scotches there's some mezcals that i don't necessarily enjoy but what i do enjoy is the thought of thinking about it and like this is making me think about all these different kinds of things and that is pleasurable but then there are some that are just they're rich and they're creamy. i think scotch is probably the other spirit that has that real sense when it's done right has that real sense of place yeah like malt scotches in particular where sure. i mean same grains yeah. Oh, yeah. How Absolutely. you cook? How you cook them? How you peed them? How you, you peed them? Yeah. How, how you ferment it? And then where you stick the barrels? Absolutely. And then where? The, what kind of air is interacting with those barrels? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about real quick a, a bourbon, the particular bottle that you selected for this chat, which is an 18-year-old Elijah Craig. The different fonts on the front because they've changed their fonts and the label slightly. This is a bottle from 2000, 2001. Is distilled in 82, and this is 45% ABV, and takes me. A different time completely. What do you think of it? It's awesome. Yeah. Really um, I mean, it, it? it's. I, I. I'm not generally a big fan of bourbons that see more than twelve yeah, years in yeah, a yeah, in yeah. a barrel. I think that that they particularly Kentucky bourbons, sure, um, where they they tend to. The, I think the wood tends to overwhelm. Absolutely. Sometimes that's the very true. The, yeah. The distillate. Um, to, I mean, obviously, depending on the char level and da, da, yeah. da, But yeah. I mean, I've tasted some of the the big the big name. Yeah. Like in their twenty fives and and ups, and you're just kind of like, mm, it's kind of like sucking on a wood chip. It's gross, yeah. Um, but the, the balance on this is incredible. It's insane. It's like and it, like the lingering. Obviously, I finished my glass, but the, the, <laughs> yeah. the it's like this little bit of um, just that toffee just kind of sitting on the side of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Feels like Christmas. Or close enough. Yeah. yeah, it's good. So when I first kind of heard of, you, of your work, and I knew about what you did with Fino and stuff, and because I want to talk about what you guys were able to do at the draft house with the 
the Force Awakens yes. stuff, which is some of the most fun I've had. Fucking incredible. When did you meet? Did you meet Tim first? When like how did that intro? Oh come? my gosh! So the uh, I apparently had. Oh really? Uh, but I don't. I don't remember it. Like yeah. he, he and his his family lives very close to where Fino is. Uh-huh. Um, they have a beautiful old home in that kind of neighborhood back there. Yeah. And he um, they came to Fino all the time. Um, apparently, he and his wife. No kidding. Um, but I don't think they ever sat at the bar. I think okay. they were on the floor somewhere. Right. Um, because I I didn't recognize him, and he reached out to me like two days before we were scheduled to do the soft opening for Haddington's. Or, oh, no, no it was about a week because we did it New Year's Eve. So, But it was like in the lead up to Christmas. Yeah. Um, and was like, hey, you know, my wife sent me a message on Facebook. No kidding. Uh, my wife and I are having a Christmas party. Would I don't know if you do this, but do you? will you cater the bar for the party? And I said, you know, it was like, I would love to. I can't. Yeah. Like, I'm, you get that I've, I've got, we got that we're opening, you know, this, this bar that I'm involved in is opening. And, um, but here's a list of five or six other people that if I was throwing a party yeah. and how to get in touch with them that I, that I would reach out to on that. And he said, thanks. And I don't, I don't know if he called any of those people. I don't right, know what right, happened. right. Um, and, you know, Haddington's open, and it became clear pretty quickly that it was not a good situation. Yeah. Uh, it, was it just the way it was ran, the, the location? Uh, it's mostly the way it was being run. I mean, when you go through three chefs and three or four GMs in the first three months. Yeah, there's something four there. Months, there's something like that. And, you know, the bar was the only constant. Um, the, it was just not a good, it was, it was not what, you know, what, what we all thought it was going to be open. Right, what, right. What Zach and I were hoping for was, n- and was not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Zach was gone by that point and going to work every day was not a lot of fun. Right. Um, very, very proud of that program. Duck still. Fat Sazerac. Love that drink. Is that your drink? Yeah. It's probably the pinnacle of my <laughs> There's creative. There's still people that talk about that drink. I actually have a bottle of the Duck Fat Rye. No in shit. My house. I'm sure it's rancid. Like, I haven't opened <laughs> it. Um, oh. But the, yeah, that, that, that's probably the pinnacle of my, my achievement as yeah. a bartender. Uh, people still talking about it, so there's something. But the... And so I got another I got another Facebook message from Tim about six months after that. And he's like, I'd like to buy you lunch. Oh wow! And I was like, okay. Um, again, June. Good things seem to happen to me in June. Um, and you know, we sat down for lunch, and he kind of at that point, I think there were ten or eleven Alamos, yeah, plus yeah. the highball. Um, and he kind of outlined where the company was going, mm-hmm. um, the, the expansion plans that we're starting to see happen now on the yeah. kind of a national level. Um, and he said, "I'd like to give you a job. I'd like to offer you a job if you're interested in coming to work for us." Um, and I kind of went, holy shit, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, that's like, yeah. here's a way out. Like, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. Like, I knew Haddington's was not a long-term viable employment right. option for me. Um, and I was like, do I go work for a brand? I'm not political enough to do that. I don't, I can't. Which is ironic, yet. right? Because like, you are political enough, but you didn't yeah. want to do that. Well, like, I can't. It's like, who do I go work for? It's like, I, I, yeah, I love this product, but if I sell the rest of their portfolio, I'm going to have to stab myself in the right, eye. Like, right. It's like, what do I do? Um, a distributor maybe but those people uh, it's not enough money yeah I know um, stuff. and I was like well sure you know like make me an, I, yeah I'm very interested and put together an offer and yeah we'll, uh, and so he had me meet with uh, another guy who's with the company is now the chief creative officer he was the chief operating officer at that point mm-hmm. um, and we had lunch and they kind of dangled the, the midnight cowboy thing but they wouldn't tell me where it was at that yeah, point yeah. the deal wasn't done um and what, we, what do you think his interest was in getting in that space? Um, I can't see. I think. I mean, I think it's 
multi I think it's there's several points of interest in there. He's yeah. very active in um, the Sixth Street Improvement District. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think you know the opportunity to get a quality business onto that strip. Right. Helps. Everybody. I mean, replacing a, a rub and tug joint, but not having it turn <laughs> into like another pizza window right. or Buffalo a shitty shot bar yep. or whatever, like you know something to complement Parkside almost, if that makes sense. Yeah, like absolutely. Another absolutely. quality business on yeah. the block and kind of change the the complexion of, of that area sure. just a little yeah. bit. Like no, it makes kind of, sense. Um, and, you know, start, I think you're starting to see that there's more interesting businesses opening up absolutely. on that stretch. Yeah. Um, so I think that was part of it. I also, he, Tim loves great cocktails and he loves great booze. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the sometimes the Alamo doesn't allow, the Alamo experience is... is, is Put in a different direction absolutely yeah um not to say they're not things aren't great um or quality but you can't always do like the crazy weird mezcal like right like it's yeah not, it's it, just you it's grab and go in a sense right because you want to enjoy the you're there for the movie the drinks just help you enjoy the movie you know what i mean yeah or i mean what john bullington who was the, the alamo corporate chef mm-hmm. when i started used to say that we were movie insurance <laughs> like if the movie sucks at least you know you're going to get something good to eat yeah that's a good to point too something good to drink but it I, you know i think it's uh at the time that i started with the alamo too there was only the only location the alamo location that had liquor was the ritz that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it was the highball the ritz were the only liquor locations the rest were just beer and wine mm-hmm. and so but i mean tim like you know having traveled with him a little bit to the openings and things around the country yeah. like always interested in going to great bars that's um right. and really he loves the I, th- I think Tim responds to people who are passionate about their work on any level. Which is the it, best way. Be it, you know, filmmakers, chefs, artists, writers. Because it's not um, so different. People always they, they sometimes put some separation between a filmmaker and a, someone who makes cocktails. But the, right. the fact of the matter is they're all colors, they're all sounds, they're all textures. And combining those things in a particular balanced way is the way you express your art. I mean, film is not that different. Uh, and so that's amazing that he can kind of. And so I, th- I think that you know that he had, and you know anything geeky yeah. like any like yeah. <laughs> that in- intense passionate thirst for knowledge and like delving into stuff to the, the root of it, right? Like getting at it appeals to him. I think as a as a human being, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to ever put words in his mouth, but I you know I think those are true. I think those are true statements. It, um, he's done something incredible, and. If I ever get the chance just to talk with him and chill, like it would be a pleasure. So he's he's a um, he's a very intense guy. He's a um, in many ways, I don't I'm not gonna say hard to work for, but yeah. he, he's demanding. Challenging, yeah. Challenge, he's demanding. Wants you which to be is, better than you can uh, be, right? Which is great, actually. Yeah. Um, I've I don't think I've ever been asked to do anything by him that he wouldn't do himself. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're just out in San Francisco trying to get that theater open. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's in there. Um, you know screwing in light fixtures and painting walls and fixing plumbing mm-hmm. and i had some people some of the folks who worked out there were like i didn't realize like three or four days they were like i didn't realize that was the guy who owns the company <laughs> yeah. who's out here doing this and it's it, an amazing it's an amazing thing, thing. yeah and he also takes really good care of people i mean when i was sick he was in the hospital before i was out of recovery from my first surgery with wow. bags of food for my wife and my mom uh, with assurances that my job was there yeah um just and I've seen him do that. We had a manager at the Ritz who had a serious stroke last yeah, year. Yeah. Um, and I've seen the way he supported that guy and, and his family. And like, he's just, you know, there was every opportunity to turn his back. Yeah. Or, or just do the, what, what a, what a typical business would do in that situation where it's, you know, throw people on disability or, 
and that kind of stuff, which and which frankly I wouldn't have been upset about. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. Um, and every step of the way, he was there to support me as I got better, which is, I mean, it's incredible. It's an incredible amount of loyalty that engenders for me. Yeah. It means it's a, a ton. Yeah, it's really spectacular. Um, and then, you know, the level of commitment that he brings to making his businesses better. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's where that demanding comes from. Um, but at the same time, you can see it. Yeah. Not only have, you know, I feel like our relationship's been really influential to me and the kinds of things. And, I, you know, I could name, like, getting Draft House to carry Genius on the menus, getting this Apollo and Midnight Cowboy, and then having Booze Traveler come in and be a... a, a a meandering putts on camera or whatever whatever the fuck this trailer was. was super fun yeah was it was it cool yeah i mean like it's a that guy's got he jack is yeah he's a really nice guy yeah and he's a really thoughtful smart dude mm-hmm. um and but he's a, he's playing a character yeah I see. um and it's a really interesting transformation like is the the day we shot not not as much the midnight cowboy that was kind of a shorter day mm-hmm. but i was with them for six hours that oh, okay. we did the jaws thing because like we had to shoot during daylight and wait for it to get dark and, yeah like, yeah um and they were i mean i mean like he's just a he, I, really thoughtful really kind yeah um and i was like how'd you get into this like because i figured he created the show right, right that, like right. and he was like i auditioned man like no shit He's like, if you look him up on IMDb, he's like a character actor. No kidding. Um, That's what it feels like. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure he's a great dude, but it feels like a character on there. And it, it's like he's, it's it's him, but it's him like quadrupled or yeah. quintupled. or And like so some of the stuff that comes off a little like, hey, bro. Da, da, right, right, right. That's not him. Like, No kidding. If I had to bet like when that guy's home, like he reads. You yeah. Know, like he's a, chill and yeah, thoughtful. Yeah. Like and so I, I genuinely liked him. Like I liked spending time with him, and the crew was amazing. Yeah, um, it was like it was an amazing opportunity for you guys to kind of not that Midnight Cowboys already not on, not already on a global scale, but like to, to share the stuff that we're. Have doing you seen anything stuff. come from that? Like, have people reached out to you about the the show mm, at all? Or are you? That's another conversation, right? <laughs> for for why I'm heartbroken at the moment, but um, it's been a good opportunity. And I, you know, I can't thank you enough for the support, man. It's been amazing. It's delicious so like, stuff, I, which I, I very much appreciate. That you, you work, you've worked in some of the best places in Austin. You continue to influence. You've influenced people, and they're paying that forward. And you work for hands down the best movie theater in the fucking world. I have a pretty cool job. It's been pretty incredible, and I work man. with really cool people, amazing people, and the people that I've met, like do Terror Tuesday, where all of it, you know, and. I think Austin would not be the same without you and without the draft house. I'm blushing. I, I mean, so. not the draft house, certainly. Yeah. I think Austin would have found its way cocktail-wise. Not in the same way, man. Not in the same way. So, anyway, thanks for drinking some bourbon with me, Bill. Thanks, thanks for so letting for me have some of that bourbon. Yeah, it's the least I could do. It's a, it's a special bottle. It's a good one. Thanks, <laughs> thanks again, man. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think? There is the legendary Bill Norris, a an amazing tale, a novelist influenced the cocktail scene nationally and continues to do so with the Alamo Draft House. The Bar Institute came into town. It just wrapped up yesterday on Tuesday, and it was a great experience here in Austin having the Bar Institute. You have Anvil doing a takeover. You had Bad News Bar taking over Small Victory, making amazing cocktails, Justin and Elise behind the bar. But before I was presenting yesterday afternoon, I ran into Bill, and it's great always to catch up with him. And one... 
Happy belated birthday, Bill. This will drop on Thursday. Your birthday was on Wednesday. You're looking good at 44. I think I read it. Could have been 42. Don't kill me, people. But talking to Bill and seeing him now from when I first met him, knowing that we almost lost him. Now, I'm not going to claim that Bill and I are amazingly close guys that were incredibly intimate. I've known him a few years now, but they've been very meaningful and it's been very influential to me and to think we came this close to losing Bill is a, it's a touching thought and he has churned his health around. He looks great. He sounds great. And I hope that he serves as a great example for us to keep healthy and to keep keeping on. And I am as always, so excited to see what Bill will continue to do with the Alamo Draft House, 400 Rabbits, and many other great projects. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V. This kind of concludes the Austin Legends week at the show. On Monday, we had the, he's so young, but so influential, the Adam Bryan, right? The Steve McQueen. And today, we get to learn more about the grandfather of the Austin cocktail industry, cocktail scene, Bill Norris. So whether you're thinking about what Bar Institute will bring into Austin next year, what kind of mashups we will see, or what varietal of a mezcal really, really plays to this immensely hot weather in Austin, please keep dancing.